Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Nick Thane is the Senior Operating Officer for the Community, Rural, and Continuing Care Portfolio within the Calgary Zone at Alberta Health Services. In his 26-year healthcare career, he has had the opportunity to practice in a variety of settings and system governance models. Nick started his career as a paramedic and has transitioned from a frontline practitioner into a number of leadership roles. Nick maintains his paramedic registration with the Alberta College of Paramedics and holds a Master of Arts in Leadership with a health specialization from Royal Roads University. Throughout his leadership journey, he has also had the privilege of serving on numerous boards, associations, foundations, and committees at the local, provincial, and national level. Nick is known for being an authentic, collaborative, and inclusive leader and has a passion for team and leadership development. Good morning, Nick. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm really excited to speak with you and welcome to Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. It's very exciting. Thanks. Great. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your career. Obviously, you and I have known each other for a few years now, so I know bits and pieces, but I know our listeners don't necessarily know the story. So um, I'm going to get you to just dive right in with that. Well, yeah, thanks. So I, um, you and I have shared stories back and forth about my career, but I'm a, I'm a paramedic by background and I've been involved in healthcare for 26 years now. So um and it was a journey for me that when I when I set out on it, I I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or where I was going to end up. And so it's um, it has been an exciting one. It it started for me as I said about 26 years ago. I I had an opportunity um, after trying some different programs and pieces to connect with a family friend who was a paramedic at a at an EMS service um, in northern Alberta and had an opportunity just to go and spend some time with him and talk about what his job entailed and actually do a little bit of a job shadow. And at the end of that, um, the things that he was doing and the work that um, that team was undertaking seemed to check a number of boxes for me. Um, Mm. They were really engaged in helping people. Um, Myself as a type A personality, sort of some of that high paced, lots of action, um, not lots of repetitive pieces, sort of a new adventure every time seemed like it was a great fit for me. And so I took an opportunity to take my, at the time was my EMT and then my, my paramedics. And, um, and since then I've had some really incredible opportunities to, to practice both as a frontline practitioner and in some of the leadership roles that I've had. I, you know, I would say that um, thanks to some really good mentors and coaches who um, I guess probably along the way saw things that maybe I didn't see um, provided me with some opportunities to do some really cool things and and take advantage of some um, leadership roles in different organizations and and really sort of find my way and so um, in 26 years I've I've worked all the way through there and times as a frontline practitioner um, transitioned into a role as a supervisor um, in Innisfail um, where I really learned some critical pieces about leadership um, my first night as a supervisor in Innisfail, 
it was July 14th of 2000, which was the night of the Pine Lake tornado. Oh, and wow. so I was able on my very first night to learn how to set up a site command and operationalize a large scale a mass casualty incident. And so learned a number of things from that and then was able to help a colleague of mine build a, um, a commission-based advanced life support EMS system for a number of municipalities in central Alberta, transitioned into a role from there being able to actually help the profession transition into a professional practice model as, um, as EMS transitioned into, um, into the health world under Alberta Health Services in 2009, was afforded an opportunity to help with a leadership team integrate EMS into the healthcare system in 2009, which is, which was absolutely incredible. And so, um, and then through there, I find myself in the role that I'm in today. So it has, it has been a journey and I'm not sure that along the way I thought that I, you know, what that next step was going to look like, but I've had people that have helped me certainly get there along the way. So that's been the last number of years of my involvement in healthcare. Mm. Well, that's really interesting. And, um, what I definitely hear from many people that I speak with is that piece around maybe not knowing what your next step is and, and p- other people guiding or supporting or championing you into that next that next role. Um, before I move into uh, hearing a little bit about what you do now, I want to just jump back to that story you had about Pine Lake and that very first day that you were in that that role. What was that like um, on day one to experience that and have to step into that crisis situation? That was a really surreal um, evening for me. And it was even one that now that it's been 20 years in July 14th of this year, my wife and I spent some time reflecting on that night. Um, not only was it my first night as a, as a supervisor, I had practiced as a paramedic in that area for a few years. And so was quite familiar with the area and um, understood my role as a paramedic. Um, but this was a different role. Um, mm-hmm. And so on that night, um, we were actually alerted of an event at Pine Lake for a single site. Um, and my wife was actually the first paramedic on scene at that event. And so the two of us have shared lots of memories about that night um, in different ways. Um, it taught me really quickly the importance of some, some things around communication, mm-hmm. um, engagement and connections, um, and and having things around you and supports um, that allow you to just make rapid decisions and sort of move through those pieces, not quite knowing what the next step will be in a true emergency and relying on friends and resources. We, we relied on resources from across the province to come and support and help on that evening, um, transport and move about 160 or 170 patients mm. um, in different forms. And so, um, and then it didn't just end on that first night. There was, a number of days afterwards where we were still dealing with the moving patients or pieces dealing at the site. And um, so I look back on it now and realize some of the things that I've learned um, about structure and command and um, what those pieces are, but that was a really powerful night for me in regards to shaping my leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think the word powerful is very apt. I'm curious to know uh, what was going through your mind. Um, at, at first, honestly, it was disbelief. Um, yeah. we were, we were honestly provided with 
a response to go to site 56 at, at the campground that it was involved at um, for a head injury. And so uh, it very quickly escalated um, and you, you saw and dealt with things that you didn't think you would ever see or deal with. Mm -hmm. um, there are some really critical pieces that sort of stick out in my mind, both on the, um, on the patient care side and the power of mother nature. I, I think about being on the, on the site and seeing trailers that had just been tossed like toys and wrapped around trees. Um, but then to see where that trailer was sitting is still the little green AstroTurf mat that mm. steps up into the trailer and the garden gnome with the plant beside it unmoved. <laughs> Wow. And so just trying to process some of that stuff um, was interesting. The other big piece that I learned out of it, um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it later too, but is the importance to take breaks and check yourself. Um, mm -hmm. That I was so connected in that scene, I finally had to someone say, after about 48 hours, Nick, it's time to take a break. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What an experience. And I can hear how that had such a profound influence on your leadership going forward. Um, the experience sounds like it just had so many pieces to it. There's the emotional pieces, there's the physical pieces, there's the logistical pieces, um, and how they all come together and you as a human being and how you respond to what you're seeing and what you're doing, and also how you get the job done. Um, so I'm wondering now, what are you doing these days? What does your role entail now? Yeah, I've taken on an interesting role. Um, it's been about a year and a half now. Um, and I've transitioned into a role. I'm the senior operating officer for community rural and continuing care um, here in the Calgary Zone with Alberta Health Services. And it's a, it's a really interesting portfolio. Um, I have the privilege of, of working with a team that's responsible for operations in areas like public health and community partnerships, rural hospitals, urgent cares, seniors, palliative, home care, continuing care, all roll up and report into this portfolio. And so it's got a fairly um, wide breadth of, um, of clinical areas. Um, that's really exciting for me. I'm learning a lot as I go through it. Um, some of those areas are familiar to me in my historical world as a paramedic and EMS. And some of them are brand new. And so it's allowing me to challenge and grow my leadership, um, but also bring a different lens to an area that um, maybe has functioned in ways um, for a while that are the same. And so I'm able to challenge some of those pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's really exciting. I've got a, I have a great team. Um, and I think it's really exciting for me as a paramedic to move into a role in a healthcare system um, that's not a traditional role for paramedics. Um, and so this is about leadership. It's not about environment. Um, and I've been really blessed with the opportunity to come in and do that. It sounds like a really big portfolio. And you mentioned it's been about a year and a half. Yeah, it was um, November of 2018. So it's. Okay. Uh, so how has COVID changed things for you? Oh, my goodness. How has COVID changed things? It's a big question. Um, it is a, that is a big question. One of the roles that I've also taken on since March is I'm the I'm the director of our um, Calgary Zone Emergency Operations Center and Incident Command. So um, I've been able again to experience and see lots of things. Um, I would share with you. I think that what it's done, um, or at least what I've witnessed, is a few things. It has it has shown me that our healthcare system 
can really be responsive. Um, mm -hmm. In times of emergency or times of um, criticality, um, when there is an area, a single area of focus, um, you can accomplish great things. We've been able to accomplish things in the first two or three months of this pandemic in regards to practice and procedure changes that under normal environment, under normal operations would have taken us three years or, or mm -hmm. never accomplished. Um, and so the ability to be nimble and make decisions and move quickly um, has been really evident in this pandemic. Um, I think it's also taught us um, a little bit about um, what's important. And so mm -hmm. creating those connections with families, we've learned, you know, in, in isolating in, in long-term care or in hospitals and not being able to have visitors, how do, you, how do you overcome challenges like that? How do you create virtual visits? How do you keep people connected in an environment where they can't be physically connected? And so some really fascinating things about how we've overcome those challenges um, to be able to adapt and meet the needs of community and families while still keeping our teams and staff safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that piece around the agility and the responsiveness is really interesting. And as you mentioned, being able to get things done in a very timely manner, things that would normally take much, much longer uh, I appreciate you bringing forward that human connection because I know often in a crisis situation, sometimes the human side of things maybe doesn't get forgotten, but it, it does get pushed to the side a little bit as we deal with the logistical pieces. So what have you done to really keep that human element in the forefront of your mind as you've been working through the challenges of COVID? Yeah, well, I, I think from an AHS perspective, we've always put patients and families first. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you, you know, what's in the best interest of the patient is the question that you go back and ask yourself. Um, and so uh, I, I think about creating the connections in a space. I, if we use a technology example where someone can't come in and actually um, physically sit beside someone and hold their hand. Um, we've been able to find ways to do that virtually through um, through tablets, through iPads, through, um, you know, you have a FaceTime chat or something um, with a family member goes a long way yeah. for them to not just talk, but to see each other and see the environment. Um, that does not replace holding someone's hand. That um, doesn't replace a hug, um, which I think are really important. Um, but it does create a space where, um, you're building trust because people are seeing uh, the work that's getting done. They know that loved ones are being cared for. They can see what, what's happening. Um, the other one is in supporting staff. Mm -hmm. This has been just as difficult on staff um, in having some of those really difficult conversations to say, I'm sorry, you can't come and see your mom today. Um, I know it's really important. Um, our staff have really struggled with that too. And so having regular town hall connections with them about what's working and what's not and where are they struggling and just being really open and honest with them about how difficult some of this can be um, and how we're trying to support each other and doing that work um, has mm -hmm. been has been really influential. I think there's so many challenges and I think you bring up a really good consideration that 
it, it has been just as hard on staff and and for them to have to say no you can't see your mom is a really challenging place to be so along the topic of challenges uh, what would you say is the biggest hurdle that you've personally faced and and what did you do to overcome it oh my goodness that is a that is a big powerful question mm-hmm. i you know what i would say um from a personal perspective, um, probably the biggest challenge that I've faced in my career um, has has honestly been a connection and understanding of my own emotions and, and how that connects me with my emotional intelligence and what that looks like. Um, really having a greater connection or understanding of my own emotions and how they inf- inform and guide my decisions um, directions and connectedness has um, has really been a personal journey for me um, to recognize mm-hmm. and understand, manage my own emotions. And then the next step of that, actually being able to recognize, understand and influence the emotions of others. Um, I, I took a really transformational journey for me and um, in two th- it started in 2008 and I did my master's program at Royal Roads um, with a master's of arts in leadership with a health specialization. Um, and that was a really, really powerful journey for me. Um, it changed me dramatically as a person, um, which ultimately influenced my leadership. I would tell you that it didn't, it didn't first change me as a leader. It first changed me as a person that has allowed me to function differently as a leader, um, has allowed me to function differently as a friend, as a husband, as a father in lots of different places. Um, that's probably the biggest Um, personal um, challenge and change for me in my career. Right. So I'm curious to know, then you mentioned about your emotions. So how was that transformational journey so instrumental in shifting your relationship with those emotions? It, it was the connectedness to them for me. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I'm reminded of a quote that, um, that talks about, uh, you know, people will forget what you said or what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And actually understanding what those are for yourself and for others, um, I think makes you a better leader, makes you a better person. Um, it makes you authentic. It allows you to connect in a way um, that is far more personal um, uh, far more intimate and connected and allows you to achieve greater things. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that. Uh, I think the emotional piece is often the piece that is missing in a lot of leadership out there. And for those who are very strong leaders, like some of the best leaders in the world, I think have that emotional connection. I do a lot of work around emotional intelligence. And uh, to your point, I can see the change that happens in people when they are able to connect with their uh, emotional intelligence, connect with their emotions and use that as a jumping off point for all that they do. So what was a moment when you felt that you were your best self at work? Wow. When I was my best self at work, um, I, you know, I, I think I try to, I honestly think I try to be my best self at work all the time. Um, I, I believe we have choices um, in everything that we do. Um, and there's a conscious decision um, when I come to work 
um, to really focus on trying to be my best self. And so um, checking some things at the door and um, coming in and really focusing on what's important for me. Um, it's really about listening and creating those connections with people and helping individuals and teams overcome challenges. That's really when I'm, I think I'm at my, um, I'm at my best when I'm working. You know, I, um, I think about times where I've got, I've had specifically some one-on-one -on -one conversations um, and really being connected and, and letting them know. I, I hear a lot about, oh, you, you're really busy, Nick. And so thanks for giving me the time to come and talk. And mm -hmm. one of the things I say is there's nothing more important to me right now than this conversation that we're having mm. and being really connected in that moment to understand what's going on. I can think of some really specific conversations where, um, you know, I was having a dialogue with someone who was trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their career and what their next steps looked like. Um, and just listening actively to what they were talking about. I was able to ask them, what are you doing when you're having your most fun? Hmm. And getting into that conversation and then them realizing that a path that they were thinking about an education for them, um, they suddenly had this aha moment. And went, you know what? I actually need to change my focus just a little bit because this is what I'm doing when I'm having my most fun. Thanks for that conversation. That was really powerful and, and important for me. Um, you know, how do, you, how do you connect with teams when they're having challenges? What do those things look like? That's, that's for me, um, when, I'm, when I'm my best at work. Mm -hmm. I hear that. And I love what you said about when you're having conversations with people, letting them know that there's nothing more important than them, that conversation in that moment. And I think sometimes that's uh, it gets missed because uh, we are all busy. We all have lots of things on our mind, but just knowing that person that you're fully invested in them in, in the moment. Now, you mentioned that you try and bring your best self to work every day and you make some choices along the way to help you to do that. What do you do on those days where you're just not feeling it? Yeah, because we all have those days, don't we? We do, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, um, I try um, my best um, to then find a space where I can um, take a little bit of time for reflection on why maybe I'm not having the best day. Um, understanding there's that emotional intelligence piece, right? What's, what are my drivers right now? What's influencing my emotions and my decisions? Um, and just spend a little bit of time reflecting on what those are. Um, it's okay to take a deep breath. It's okay to um, excuse yourself from a conversation quickly or to, um, to ask for just that minute and, and then refocus. I, I am really purposeful about trying to do that. Um, it's that reflective practice piece I think is really important. I would share with you mm -hmm. one of the, one of the other challenges or things that I've learned in my career. And I use sort of a, I use cold cycle and experiential learning piece in my mind and I go through it and I really taking that time to pause for just a second and reflect as opposed from jumping from experience to, to activity, really taking that moment to say, all right, help me understand in this moment what's going on um, is a practice that I try and utilize. Um, and then it's a mm -hmm. practice that I'm able to um, try and help others utilize as well, right? Help me understand what's going on right now, or do you need a minute to take a break or, Let's mm -hmm. what what's important right now. So um, if something's going to change or the 
um, the wheels are going to fall off the wagon and uh, in the next five minutes, there's probably not a lot in the next five minutes we can do to, to solve that problem. So let's just figure out in this moment what we need to do to, to get ourselves through. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting what you're saying about uh, not only trying to do those things yourself, but helping others to do that. And so that was going to be where I was going to go with my next question around what do you as a leader need to do to help other people? Um, perhaps those who are newer to their role or um, those who are newer to healthcare even, help them to know that it's okay to take that step back and do that reflective practice. I think it's about, um, it's about modeling the way. It's about leading by example. Um, yeah. And so I think if others see you doing that, um, if that norm then becomes accepted um, and becomes, if, if that becomes accepted, then becomes the norm in a practice. Um, and then you can reinforce that, right? You can let people know that that's okay. And so what are you doing in meetings to add time to do that? Or where are you helping with some of those education pieces um, so that those conversations are happening to allow people to know that there's a safe space to do that and those practices are are normal, right? If as a leader, I'm not demonstrating those, um, do as I say, not as I do is, is not a great approach. Um, to being able to build trust and have people um, supported and find their way in a system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel that there's some work to be done around this in healthcare in general? Um, I, I, I do. I think you can always improve on practice. Um, right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, um, of better practice, not best practice. If you're best, then you, Maybe you just want to stop trying a little, um, ah. right? So if, if you're looking for better practice all the time, um, then that's really important. I, but I always think that there's room to improve or, or have a dialogue or, or challenge someone's thinking or um, look for new and innovative or creative ways to do things. Um, and it's in that conversation and in that trusted environment that you, you're able to move that, um, mm-hmm. to have it to have people understand or um, shift their thinking in a way. What's, what's the mutual purpose that we have here today as opposed to the position that we're in. Right. And so I, I always think that there's an opportunity um, to be able to shift that a bit. Mm-hmm. And I love what you're saying about looking for that better practice, like always be striving for how can we do things differently? How can we do things better? Um, and always that, uh, support of that culture of continuous improvement, um, not only for the, our processes and our policies within healthcare, but also for ourselves as well. Yeah. So you and I have had uh, many conversations on authenticity. So maybe just share what is authenticity all about for you? Oh, authenticity for me as a core value for me is, is really about um, being genuine, about being real, um, about being connected in the environment that you're in. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a profession that um, separated some of the, those connection points at times um, in a command and control and hierarchical structure and all of those mm. pieces. And I, and I struggled with that for quite some time in trying to fit in and understand that. 
And for me, being authentic, what you see is what you get. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am the same at work um, that I am when I'm at home, when I'm at play, when I'm at work. It's all the same. And so I don't have a different persona or a chameleon that acts in a way differently at work than I do somewhere else. That's about, that's about being authentic. You know, some of those really key qualities, um, you know, leading with your heart, not just your mind, understanding and creating that connection is really important for me. Um, and not being afraid to show your emotions, not, mm-hmm. not being able or not being afraid, um, to share that you you're struggling or challenged with something or um, uh, I even remember in my, in my professional practice, I remember on calls, even um, sitting with family members after having difficult conversations it, and some um, really tragic events, sitting there and just holding someone's hand and crying with them mm-hmm. and sharing that emotion um, helps build the trust and helps show that you're connected. Um, and it demonstrates a real passion um, for the work that you're doing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think also, too, it, it shows that commitment. Uh, there's the passion piece, but also there's the commitment piece. Um, it's incredibly vulnerable, though, I know for for myself and, and most people out there to show those emotions. So what have you had to do to uh, wrestle with that? Or have you had to wrestle with that? Has it come naturally? I, I think I wrestled with it um, early on as I talked about that, that journey of actually starting to understand my emotions and how they were connected to the work that I've been doing. Um, mm-hmm. but, but since then, it, I would say it comes naturally. I'm not, af- I'm not afraid to show some vulnerability. Um, I'm not afraid to show um, some frustration. Um, I think that that shows people that you're real, that you're human, um, and that sometimes you're affected by things both both positively and negatively. You're not you're not a machine. Um, you're not a robot going through the actions. You're actually connected to the work that's happening, um, and you're really creating that sort of meaningful purpose about the work that you're doing. Hmm. Now, you mentioned that you'd been in some command and control type of environments. So I'm wondering, was this choice to move? Well, maybe I'll ask it this way. Was authenticity a choice for you? Or was it just something that was so innate in you that you didn't have to think about it? I think once I really understood um, how I connected um, with things, it was a natural piece for me. Um, mm-hmm. When I talk about the, you know, there can be authenticity in command and control as well. Um, authenticity doesn't mean soft, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, the fact that you still need to communicate at times in direct manners, um, I would tell you that I, I am still a paramedic. That's still that A-type personality, um, sometimes episodic let's move and let's make a decision and let's go is still a little bit about how I'm wired and command and control um, in the right times and at the right time can still be completely appropriate. Um, but I think when you're using authenticity inside of that, there's an understanding of what expectations are and how you're managing that in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. 
And I think you bring up a really good point that sometimes authenticity, the idea or the concept of authenticity, it can be viewed as maybe softer. And what I'm hearing is very much it's a piece of command and control as well when that needs to happen. Um, is there a specific story that you can think of where you've had to be very direct and how that was received in that spirit of authenticity? Yeah, absolutely. I can. Um, I, I can think about working with some teams that um, in one specific case, after um, a few events had occurred and really needing to make a change in culture about what things looked like um, for teams, um, about um, getting a group together and talking about what the challenges were, what the expecta my expectations of that team were in regards to shifting um, the thinking and shifting the performance um, and how we were going to accomplish that. Um, and how we were going to be consistent and sort of collectively build a clear vision for where we were going to go. Um, that was a difficult conversation and saying, this is my expectation. Um, mm. This is what we will do here and going forward. Um, this will be tolerated and this will not be tolerated. Um, that was a difficult conversation with a group. Um, but I think that after that conversation, um, well, it didn't change overnight. Um, I certainly had a num number of members of that team come forward to me and say, I really appreciate you taking us through that exercise um, about working around a team covenant about how we were going to work together and change our mm -hmm. practice um, because we've been looking for that for a long time. And I think people at times fear having those types of crucial conversations. They are difficult. Um, but at the end, um, I felt better for having it. Um, and I believe the team felt better and is in a better place now because of it. Mm. That's interesting that you got that feedback. And I, I imagine quite reassuring, too, that yeah. that feedback, um, that that exercise was valuable and people appreciated that. So when you are in those times of overwhelm or stress or crisis, how do you stay authentic? I I think it's just as I talked about, I think it's about being genuine and real and finding um, finding a space to just take a deep breath again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the the want sometimes to just put your head down and bash through things um, for sake of getting there can be difficult. Um, you know, you still need to face into the storm. You still need to get through the things that are a challenge. Um, but again, on that emotional intelligence side, knowing what your triggers are and being able to take a step back and how that influence and it affects others um, is really important. Again, a piece that, as I shared earlier, jumping from experience to activation was a piece that I used to do. And I'm, I'm not perfect at it. Again, I talk about better practice. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we are challenged with those situations all the time. But the ability to take a deep breath um, understand what the clear purpose is about what you're doing. Um, and then moving forward from there, I think is the piece that actually helps you be successful. Mm -hmm. And what I hear in that is it's about being deliberate in your action. As you mentioned, you know, there is that, that desire sometimes to just jump forward, like you said, push through into action. 
but how do you be deliberate about that action and authenticity having that piece in there? Yep. You and I have talked about having a leadership statement. Um, so would you care to share uh, about like what is a leadership statement? Um, and if, if you're willing, sharing yours would be great. Yeah, I, I, I encourage all of the members of my team to sort of have a, a leadership statement and, and what that means to them and how they, how they function. And so um, mine, mine comes from a place where I talk about providing vision and hope without scorekeeping the past. Mm. And so for me, that means um, that my job as a leader um, is to help provide direction not showing people the answer, but um, helping them understand where we um, all need to collectively go. Um, providing hope that the work that we're doing is important, the work that we're doing while challenging. Um, we can overcome those challenges and we can be better for it um, on the other side. Um, that's really that hope piece that, um, you know, this is important. Sometimes I think that, you know, we feel in a, big healthcare system that um, it's hopeless to try and accomplish some of the things when really it's not. If you focus on the patient and their families and, and our teams that we can figure out how to do that. Um, and then the last piece of that is to do that without scorekeeping the past. I think that we all tell a great story of remember that time when the system was way better. Um, yeah. And one of the, one of the little, analogies that I use with teams sometimes is um, the grass always seems greener on the other side. Um, but if you actually ever flip grass over and had a look at it, it's pretty muddy and mucky and gross at times. <laughs> so um, how do you, how do you help support your team so that they're not an anchor to the past um, and that you're moving them forward in a way that they're not scorekeeping what was in a time where they think it may have been better. Hmm. And so how did you come to that leadership statement? What was the process? Well, there, was, there was a number of things involved in that. Um, but I had a really good mentor um, when I moved into healthcare, um, where I had some really powerful conversations with her about um, what things could and should look like. Um, and through a number of those conversations and her asking me, what's important um, and through my leadership, what that I want to do. Um, I was able to work that out um, actually with her through a number of different conversations that it's about providing vision and hope without scorekeeping the past. Um, mm. she, she certainly helped with a number of those pieces and I think she lived a number of those attributes as well. And so it was, it was easier for me to get to, but it's now something that I use on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this mentor was so instrumental in helping you get to that place um, and pulling in her own experiences as well uh, and and supporting you to craft something that clearly it resonates with you so strongly that you use it on such a regular basis. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's really powerful, right? It helps create a vision. Um, it helps me inspire some change, um, challenge challenge ways of practice and really motivates those around me um, and working with me to succeed. So. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, what do healthcare professionals need to do to grow into authentic leaders or be authentic leaders? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I, th 
I think that we can learn lots of different practice pieces. And so, um, again, to be authentic, it's about spending some time um, with yourself first to understand um, what's important. Um, that reflective practice piece and self-awareness. Um, and then believe, believe in accountability for yourself. What does that look like? I think that how do we become authentic in our work um, is no different than how we would want um, to try and coach others or um, even from a project perspective, what does it look like um, to accomplish something? I think you need mm -hmm. to, I think you need to sit down and understand what your vision is, what your purpose is and how you're connected to that. Um, I'm really purposeful about writing things down um, and to document them. Um, I don't have a great memory. I don't hold tons of things in my mind. And so I, I make notes all the time and I write things down. Um, I create achievable goals for my leadership um, to be authentic. What does that look like? How did I check in today? Um, at the end of each day, asking myself, you know, what worked well today? What didn't work well today? Um, how can I change that? A little check-in at the end of the day. But those are achievable goals for me that I can set in a conversation or um, uh, some group work or a project that we're working on. Um, celebrate the successes. Right? What does that, you know, what does that look like for you? Was that, was that important? Did you do a really good job at that? Well, there's, there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with saying, you know what, on my drive home today, I'm going to stop and get myself an ice cream cone because I'm going to celebrate that success. <laughs> I, I, think right. that, I think that that's okay, right? Yeah. Um, and then seek feedback, right? Mm -hmm. be, be aware of what's going on around you and asking people, how did that, how did that go? Is there anything that I can do differently? Um, I think is really important. And putting all of those things together, it feels like a little bit of sort of smart goal setting, but really that's what you're doing for yourself. And how do you achieve that? Um, and as a visual and tactile learner, for me, I would share with you, Lee, one of the things that I did moving into this role that was really powerful for me in my leadership and trying to be authentic was I created my 100-day work plan, and I actually went and printed it on a poster board that was about eight feet tall and four feet wide that allowed me, oh, to, wow. that allowed me to write on it. And I stuck it on my wall in my office. And I charted and documented everything that I thought was important in building internal relationships and how I was going to connect with different teams at different times and what that looked like. And it really helped hold me accountable to my goals, to how I was going to achieve success and where I was going to get my feedback from. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And thank you for sharing all of that. And what I take away from all of that is that leadership is hard and it takes that conscious decision. As you mentioned earlier, there's choices. And so how do you choose to pull in all of those pieces and make those deliberate and thoughtful steps forward to being a stronger or better leader? Absolutely. So before we wrap for today, what is a final piece of wisdom you'd like to offer? Oh, wow. Um, I'm not sure if it would be a final piece. Maybe I can offer two. Um, sure. So for me, it would be um, to ask yourself and others, and I talked about this earlier, but what are you doing when you're having your most fun? That's a really powerful question for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if people understand for themselves what that is, they'll find joy in the work that they're doing. Um, and so that's really important. Um, and then tied on to that, um, 
would be to find balance. At the end of the day, we need to find balance. And so um, there's no one in this system that will push the pause button for you. You need to be able to figure out what that is and to not be able to, to push it, to find your pace and to really understand what's important. Um, Work-life balance is really important and make sure that you're setting a really good example about that um, and an expectation for yourself and for your team and for your successor. And I am really purposeful when I say that. Um, you talk even about taking vacation time. Um, if as a leader, you're not taking your vacation time, um, your team may not be doing that. They may not be taking the checks that, that the time off that they need. Um, but you're also setting up whoever comes in to succeed you that the expectation is that the person here doesn't take breaks. And so find that pace, find your pause button and don't be afraid to push it. Mm, that's incredibly powerful. Thank you, Nick, so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing the stories of your experiences and your thoughts on authentic leadership. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciated the time. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.